The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Yo. And tonight, we have an extra special guest, recent recipient of the Inkpot Award at the San Diego Comic Con, founder of Antarctic Press, and renowned comic artist, Ben Dunn. Welcome to the show, Ben. Ooh, salutations. <laughs> so, Ben, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I mean, I'm sure many of them have heard of you, but uh, there might be a few off in you know, Siberia that haven't. So, <laughs> so tell us about your background. Well, let's see. Uh, I was born in uh, Pingtung, Taiwan. Immigrated here uh, to the United States in 65. So, uh, and I grew up all my life here. And I, from an early age, I... I knew I was destined for geekdom because I loved watching all the old uh, Star Treks and Batman and anything genre-related. I was just into it like nobody's business, which to the great chagrin of my father and mother didn't quite understand, you know, what I was, uh, why I was into that kind of stuff because it's definitely not an Asian thing to do. Um, but uh, I loved reading comics when I was growing mm-hmm. up. And uh, uh, I was just so much into it, I I decided from an early age I wanted to work for Marvel Comics and uh, right. and just uh, started uh, on the path to becoming a comic book artist. And, uh, and then in 1984, I borrowed some money, mm-hmm. uh, started Antarctic Press, and uh, uh, created a magazine. But before then, I had made a trip to Taiwan. My parents took mm-hmm. me there when I was about uh, 11... 11 years old and that's mm-hmm. when I got my first exposure to manga and that's when I started uh, becoming a big manga file and just uh, uh, started promoting the the art form and uh, wow. I finally got my chance in 84 when I started Antarctic Press and created a magazine and and then Ninja High School followed soon afterwards and uh, the rest as they say is history okay wow um that's Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. So, what was your first great, uh, let's say, manga love? Like, was there a manga that really influenced you back in the beginning? Well, uh, I didn't even know manga existed. You know, I was 11 years old, and I was in another right. country. And uh, But my inner uh, nerd couldn't uh, be uh, contained. So, I asked mm-hmm. my relatives if they had uh, anything uh, comic-related, because I had to have my comic fix. And uh, right. uh, since there were no American comics, you know, naturally, uh, mm-hmm. but they understood what I was talking about. Is oh, you you want manga? And I said, manga? What what the hell are you talking about, manga? Mm-hmm. You know. And apparently, that was the the uh, word for comic in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they took me to a bookstore, and they mm-hmm. showed me shelves and shelves of of manga. And then uh, uh, the first one I got was a Mazinger Z manga, uh, and wow. I just fell in love with it. The very f- I didn't read a word of it. I don't, <laughs> of course. I don't read any Mandarin. I don't talk any Mandarin. So, But 
I know good art when I see it. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the stories were so well t- told that I could mm-hmm. actually follow the story, you know, make up my own dialogue without any problem. And uh, yeah. I was so impressed by their ability to tell a story, even though I didn't understand the language. And uh, what surprised me was it was in black and white. And uh, uh, it just really appealed to me. And I was just, after that, I was just voracious manga reader and a reader, I mean, a collector. And mm-hmm. since it was so cheap to buy them in Taiwan, I just bought stacks and stacks of them to the point where my mother and father actually uh, were concerned that it was they were, mm-hmm. my collection was taking up too much space in the little place we were living in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Taiwan apartments are tiny. Uh, well, was, we, yeah. uh, we actually were. We lived in just outside of Taipei. Right. And, uh, uh, the uh, university my father was teaching at uh, actually provided a fairly decent-sized house for us to live in. So it was right. not a pro- issue of uh, uh, space, uh, but it was an issue of just, you know, um, well, actually, it did become an issue of space eventually. Mm. So I, I bought bunches of manga, but bunches of toys, and I was just crazy. But unfortunately, I had to leave a lot of it behind when we had to go mm. back to the States. And I sure wish I uh, had were, was able to bring it all back, but, you know, it was, it, I just didn't have the space for it all. So I picked a few right. that were my favorites and brought them back with me. And, and they, I just kept looking them over and over and over again and decided that this was something I really wanted to promote. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can understand that. Um, out of curiosity, what did your father teach? Uh, he's a teacher of anatomy. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so he's a real egghead. Uh, right. So you can be surprised. You can see why I would be such a disappointment because you know <laughs> I am not as uh, uh, smart as he is, but uh, I sure can draw better than he can. Well, right, and if I recall right, your brother Joe is a doctor, isn't he? Yes, he's an MD. You know what they say about MDs? Um, okay, what do they say? Million dollars. Million dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> and my so you have to remember PhD. Pure, poor, hungry, and dumb. Poor, hungry, and dumb. Yes, that one I know. Of course, being in academia, but you have to. My father's also a doctor. Is he and, not? Um, MD. Yep. Yeah, my father's an MD. Um, my mother's a nurse. You can guess where they met. Uh, and um, but the thing is, he's a Canadian doctor, so MD up here doesn't stand for millions of dollars. Ah, well, he should move to the states then. <laughs> well, he's retired now. He's uh, he's a retired former doctor living out in the country and enjoying himself. Oh, there you go. Exactly. So, okay, that's interesting. So, so you must have had lots of models to work from. As for your, you would have all your father's anatomy books you could actually use for drawing. Oh well, I I did, and uh, they were very interesting. I didn't really care much for them because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they were like pretty gruesome stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember him taking me to the uh, 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 university where you know we would go to the autopsy room, and mm-hmm. you know we would sit for hours and hours. But I do remember. Uh, spending hours uh, putting together my own magazines and using the mm-hmm. the, the university photocopy or to make my own little uh, uh, magazines and right uh, that's sort of got me on the path to doing publishing. So right. I actually uh, do remember all that stuff. So it was kind of fun. Wow! Except wait a sec. Do you mean that your father would take you to watch autopsies? Uh, well, not exactly uh, autopsies, but uh, we would go to the what is known as the cadaver room. Oh, okay. Or he would teach uh, 
students, you know, where they would have cadavers mm-hmm. and they would uh, uh, dissect them. Right, yes. So I do remember that very clearly. You know, he would also, uh, he also did a lot of research. So, you know, mm-hmm. we would, he would go to the, the mouse room where they would have tons of, you know, rodents mm-hmm. and would dissect those too as well. And uh, uh, so it was, uh, 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 and so I kind of wonder I didn't grow up to be like a serial killer or something like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm thinking, but it does ex- it does explain Mighty Tiny. Though. Yeah, well, it's true. It does. Well, you know, actually, the the my influence for Mighty Tiny is when I watched uh, uh, Secret of Nim. Oh, of course. Uh, with Don Bluth and now because uh, and you know also at that time I think the uh, furry genre was just starting to become more prominent, and uh, I started uh, hanging around with a bunch of furry artists, and that sort of got me into that as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's uh, uh, I sort of liked that, and I decided to. And then, of course, I was exposed to Mac Cross, and I did sort of a mashup, you know, between doing a furry with Mecca, and I thought, oh, yeah, no one's done that before. But see if I can get that. See if I can pull that off. You know, <laughs> I, and you definitely pulled it off. It's just too bad that it get, didn't get more of a fan appreciation. Oh well, you know, I, you know, that's the thing is, I'm not too worried about that. I I figure mm-hmm. I, I did my thing. It's time to move on. You know, I never. Never dwell on the past. Just move forward right. and just uh, keep uh, creating. Right. Oh, wow. That's that's a great attitude. Absolutely. Out, out, out of curiosity, you mentioned that your dream when you were a kid was to draw for Marvel Comics. Did you actually get to do that? Uh, yes, I did, actually. I, uh, in 2000, I created the Marvel Mongaverse. Oh, right. Yes. yes. I'd forgotten about that. And, yeah. Uh, uh, that was the fifth week event, and I was mm-hmm. uh, just in the right place at the right time, and I was actually, I didn't think I was actually going to pull it off, but mm-hmm. uh, I got an email from Joe Casada, who was the editor-in-chief at that time, and said mm-hmm. he wanted to uh, develop it further, and then that's how Marvel Mongaverse was developed. Oh. Wow, okay, and were you, did you have a hand in all the Ma- Marvel Mongaverse titles? And unfortunately, no. I did uh, want it to be, uh, my original plan was mm-hmm. to do it as a series of books, you know, with me mm-hmm. in control. But I guess they wanted to just, uh, they had a fifth week event and uh, they needed to fill up space and they thought there was a good fit and uh, mm-hmm. uh, they let me do the bookends and mm-hmm. uh, they had other artists uh, do the books in between. So right. uh, that's, was, that's how that, that came about. And then it did so well, they gave me a six issue miniseries. And that was a which title was it the Spider-Man one? I uh, know that was uh, Kiari Andrews. I did the okay. uh, Marvel Mongaverse miniseries, uh, six issues, you know, uh-huh. and uh, that was a spinoff. And then um, that was the end of it after six issues. Hmm. Well, it was Marvel's experiment with manga. Well, I think they still want to do it, but I, I just think I just don't think they have the right uh, uh, mix yet. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well, I can see that. That's kind of interesting too, because um, I've wondered about that. I know DC tried something similar, and it it kind of seems weird because I know around uh, the early two thousands, you started hearing that um, as the Japanese stuff got more popular here in North America, that a lot of the big wigs at the the big two and a half, like your Marvel, your DC, and your sometimes Image, that a lot of them did not care for the Japanese stuff. And did you find that when you were working for them, or? No, I think they cared about the Japanese stuff. It's just that the people who bought their stuff didn't care. Mm. You know, people who read Marvels and DCs, 
they're just not manga people, you know, because yeah. uh, they've grown up reading Marvel comics, and Marvel comics has a certain style and aesthetic, you know. And uh, like I said, I was just lucky; I was in the right hmm. place at the right time. And manga was a hit. They thought they could uh, uh, cash in on the manga craze at the time, and it was fairly big. It was very. It was one of the largest growing segment of the comic market at the time. But I think. Um, you know, Marvel and DC are just just not uh, experienced enough to understand what manga was all about. You know, mm. and uh, mm. uh, and uh, my like I said, my original plan was to try to uh, create sort of a manga aesthetic for the Marvel universe, but you know, the, I didn't uh, wasn't allowed to go forward with that original. Uh, inception mm-hmm. uh, but you know i i think that in a, its own way uh marvel is um, in dc and the rest you know manga the manga aesthetic has been slowly creeping in little by little and and yeah. you get to the point where it's become sort of ingrained you know in both universes there's some books mm-hmm. that they do that have sort of a manga feel to it uh, mm-hmm. while still maintaining their own identity and that's uh, to me uh, that's that's perfectly fine, you know. If uh, uh, people who like manga, well, they'll like they like manga, and people who like superheroes, well, they've got Marvel and DC, you know. So I'm not too worried about uh, uh, the the big companies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, adopting that kind of uh, look and feel <clears throat> because. You know they've they're they're I mean they're huge they they're, they what they dominate what ninety five percent of the comic market or something like that but uh, you know manga has its own little uh, genre you know separate in of it to itself and that's fine by me as well so you know, and then of course uh, uh, a lot of people consider American manga sort of the bastard stepchild of the whole genre <laughs> you know but that's okay you know I I look at it as art and. Uh, art is art, in my opinion, and if it's good stuff, I don't care what you call it. You know, that's uh, it's just what it is. I just particularly just like that particular style, and I'd like to use uh, I use it when my in my own storytelling. If if you like it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why don't we take another step back since we've jumped? We're jumping around in time here, but just to so. So you did Mangazine, and what came after that? After that, we did Extremely Silly Comics, uh, which was sort of a humor title. And then Mm -hmm. after that, we started publishing uh, uh, other creator-owned material. And uh, and then we needed a a three-issue miniseries. Mm -hmm. So I decided, oh, well, I could do a three-issue miniseries. And I uh, uh, decided to go with a title called Ninja High School. And it did so well, and I liked doing it so much that we decided mm-hmm. just to keep it going. And mm. here it is, thirty years later, and it's uh, still going. Right, that's yeah. that's truly amazing. Yeah, I'm really surprised by it myself because <laughs> I have a really short attention span. I'm really surprised I let it go this far. <laughs> I would have, I it should have ended like uh, you know in a couple of years after I started it, but it just kept going for some reason. Hmm. Um, well, what was the origin of Ninja High School? Like, where did you get this idea for the comic from? Well, uh, in the early '80s, I belonged to an organization called the Cartoon Fantasy Organization, mm-hmm. and we would actually have you know monthly meetings where we would watch anime. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now where you can do streaming and just have anime on demand. You know, back right. then, you had to work for your anime. <laughs> you, know, you had to uh, get contacts in Japan, watch 10th generation VHSs, you know, mm-hmm. just get anime wherever, wherever and whenever you could. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, fortunately, we had a really uh, good source for our club that brought in some anime from Japan. And mm-hmm. uh, I watched this uh, a, a series called Urusa Yatsura and mm-hmm. uh, Project Eiko. And uh, mm-hmm. I was I loved those uh, uh, anime so much. Of course. You know, that I decided that, uh, hey, I, I want to do sort of American version of those uh, series. So I started working on doing sort of a, a, a teenage uh, uh, comedy, manga, uh, anime-type comedy. And... Uh, uh, decided to, and of course, ninjas were hot at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, just I said, what would be a good weird title that I could use, you know? And since uh, ninjas were hot, and mm-hmm. all the characters were in high school, it just seemed like a fit to just call it Ninja High School. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That that, that that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yes, I could definitely see the uh, your say it sir influence in it. That's pretty mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, Yurisayatsu, uh, Sasagadnosur, uh, Tobi, Kabamaru, and Project Eiko were all uh, major influences for uh, the creation of Ninja High School. Yes, definitely. Wow. Okay. That- Although I, you, I think you put a good, pretty good spin on it, though. I think it's mm-hmm. it is just mm-hmm. different enough from Yurisayatsu that it's it's its own thing. It's not it's not the same. Well, not that anything. was a deliberate uh, uh, attempt to try to. Uh, uh, give it some identity of its own. Originally, it was just a parody title. I wanted to incorporate mm-hmm. uh, memes and, uh, uh, um, you know, influences from anime into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, But I knew at the same token that uh, uh, it had to have its own story in of itself. So mm-hmm. that's where I uh, uh, created the uh, the idea of the, of the characters being separate and, and identifiable. So that right. they could stand on their own, and uh, right. uh, then people would start to care about them and not just look at them as just mere parodies, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, of characters they've already seen before. Right. Okay. Yeah, because that was one. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go down. Sorry, oh, go. I was gonna say because that was one of the thing, uh, like reading Ninja High School, especially the early ones. At some point, you took every character, even like the guys who are just background characters like say the ken terminator and you kept bringing them back and giving them stories and by like mm. issue 2025 you had this huge armada of characters that were all fully fleshed out like that must have been a nightmare to coordinate oh <laughs> uh, well no when when you're young your your head's full of ideas you know mm. it's only when you get older you start to slow down and uh mm. It doesn't come as quick and fast and furious as, I mean, when I was, uh, uh, I mean, I was in my early 20s, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, for some reason, I just was an endless well of ideas. And I mean, mm-hmm. not to say I don't have ideas now, but I think my uh, mm-hmm. ideas are a little bit more deliberate. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have sometimes, uh, as I got older, I tend to overthink things sometimes, you know. And then, of course, uh, as time went on, more and more people got into the game. You know, and I've seen some amazing stuff from other creators, you know, and it just seems like uh, 
uh, uh, you know, that you have to sort of up your up your ante, so to speak, you mm, know, right. remain competitive. And uh, that's the thing is I'm, I'm I'm focusing more on trying to do material that will um, uh, uh, that I find enjoyable and that you know, and um, that is more satisfying to myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, it's just one of those things where you just gotta keep on pushing along, and hopefully that. Uh, I mean, it, it does get uh, more challenging as the time goes on to try to create something, you know, new and refresh, you know, and uh, uh, and with all the other materials coming out these days, with all the new mm-hmm. talent that's popping up. I mean, it's just, it's 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 really really. Um, challenging to remain you know relevant and competitive in this in this market you know but i'm trying and i'm, I'm hoping that the people still like uh, what i'm producing and uh i i think that uh, the stuff i've done has uh, st- uh, hopefully stood the test of time right hmm. Hmm. i think it definitely has i, yeah. I think a lot I'm of it has yeah that. Well, you've you've done very well with your recent Kickstarter for Ninja High School Volume Three for the collections. Oh yes, yes, I was very pleased with that. And uh, uh, as soon as I get Volume Three done, I'll be working on Volume Four. <laughs> so, so how many issues have you actually done yourself of Ninja High School? Because I know you brought in some other talent to actually work on it for a little while there as well. Yes, uh, I I think I may have done. Uh, close to probably about a hundred issues, uh, one hundred and twenty-five issues, you know, compared to, and the rest were done by other people, like uh, fifty or forty or sixty issues. I, I have lost count. <laughs> right, but I think I'd done the majority. I think I did about seventy-five percent of the series. Okay, and you also had time, obviously, we've heard from Tim Eldred that you've had time to actually work on stuff for other companies as well. Oh, yeah. I I, I never turn down a job when it's offered to me, so uh, (laughs) whenever someone comes up and wants me to do something, I take it. I never say no. Wow. Well, you must have been a machine back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. You were just... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Your the Ken Terminator must have been based partly on you, just by <laughs> just the amount of work that you were pumping out. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, certainly Fast and Furious days back then. I I tell you, the the thing was is that uh, uh, um, if you didn't do the work, you didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, the yeah. fact. You know, that was the uh, uh, the creative aspect is always great, but you have to also be realistic and look on the. Uh, altruistic aspect of it and you mm-hmm. you know the 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 the, the key to uh, uh, any good artist's success is to keep on working and producing you know if you mm-hmm. if you take too much time off people have a tendency to forget yeah yeah i can i can definitely see that now does this mean that uh, just a question so well, let's talk about antarctic press for a little bit so you created antarctic press to to publish magazine did you uh, yes, I created Antarctic Press because, quite frankly, I had a choice. I could, uh, uh, you know, get a real job or I could start mm-hmm. a publishing company. And I figured, you know, how hard could it be to do a publishing company? And right. uh, I soon found out that was just as much work as any job mm-hmm. I could have possibly, you know, have uh, uh, endeavored. But right. the the difference was is that I really loved publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love looking 
Uh, I love comic book art. I love talking to other people about comic book art. I love uh, seeing other people's comic book art. It, it's just something ingrained in in me that just uh, attracts me for some reason. And I, I can't explain it, but it's just uh, something in, inherently in my DNA. <laughs> right. But how long did it take before Antarctic, or Antarctic Press actually became, I guess you could say, solvent? I mean, before it actually was really turning a profit and became your full-time career? Well, actually, during the early part of the uh, company's, uh, um, you know, early part of the company, it actually did very well. Uh, oh, okay. the, uh, uh, the black and white uh, boom was still going on. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, uh, we were offering something that was different. And mostly everybody else, because nobody was doing you know manga inspired books right, at the time. Yeah. Right. So we mm-hmm. had very little competition. So that was uh, really good, and uh, uh, we were filling a niche that no one else was filling. So right. we were able to uh, maintain a, a fairly good market share, you know, for our mm-hmm. titles, and we were doing a very steady business for quite some time. You know, of course, then the market fell out, the bottom fell out in the black and white, but we managed right. to survive that, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we were able to keep, just keep pushing forward by uh, adapting quickly. And of course, mm-hmm. we had Ninja High School, which was our best-selling book at the time, right. uh, and then uh, uh, I knew the the difference between Antarctic Press and other companies was that from the very beginning, I knew... Uh, AP had to have uh, two things, a bullpen and a library. A lot of uh, small companies, um, I mean, a lot of even big companies uh, mm-hmm. uh, are either um, undercapitalized uh, or uh, they spend too much, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, and also... Uh, while I am a, a great advocate of creator creators' rights, you know mm-hmm. I also understand that uh, for a company to survive, you have to have a library that you can build upon. And mm-hmm. uh, I knew that my uh, output for Antarctic Press would be the key to uh, its long term success. Right. Because uh, I mean, if you look at all the successful publishers, they have a library they can keep reprinting. You know, mm-hmm. till mm-hmm. perpetuity. I mean, Marvel still yeah. reprints materials fifty, sixty years old. Yeah, right. They're still uh, doing stuff like that. You know, and that's the that's their key to longevity. And you know, plus they have a very. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to say that uh, AP is anywhere near what Marvel is, but I believe that mm-hmm. for any company to survive, you have to have good organization. You have mm-hmm. you have to have a, a business model. And you have to have a business mission, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to have the dedication to the work. If you don't do the right. work, you know, then uh, you don't have anything, you know. So mm-hmm. that's the, the that's the, that's the the most important thing is that uh, uh, output 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 is the most uh, this is the biggest key to success for any company. Right. Because if you don't, uh, uh, for, any, for any company, period, especially mm-hmm. in publishing, you know, even if your book sells terribly, you know, don't worry about it. Just chalk it up as a mistake, you know, and mm-hmm. at least you have, maybe the book uh, just didn't find its audience at the time, but at least you did the work and you had yep. the material. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can always revive it later on down the line, you know, or reuse it again or repurpose it. So it's uh, 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 one of those things that... Uh, 
uh, I knew that uh, if AP were to survive, you know, it had to uh, adapt to whatever the market uh, at the time uh, deemed it. So I think that's mm-hmm. been the key to its longevity. Yes, I definitely I I agree with you. Yeah, I think you I think you've done a great job of di- diversifying, but. Um, so was, but was there ever a time when you had to choose between yourself as an artist and yourself as a publisher, like where they came into conflict with each other? Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. There's a lot of choices you have to make, you know, I mean, there, uh, uh, there are times where you have to cancel a book, you know, tell a Mm -hmm. creator that their books didn't sell, you know, or, uh, uh, there's uh, times where the, uh, um, you know, uh, a book sells really well and you just can't get mm-hmm. the book out on time, you know, or right. you know, it, there's a lot of things and the, the, and being a publisher and a creator was definitely in conflict with me all the time because, you know, there's always so much time in the day and either I had to spend my time, you know, putting out the fires of being a publisher or sitting down and drawing. And it was, uh, uh, it was extremely stressful to do both. So eventually I had to make the choice of handing over the publishing reins to somebody else who could you know dedicate full time you know to the to that uh aspect while I could just sit back and do the creating which is really my first love you know I love the the being able to create and to draw but I I just couldn't spend the time to do both and that's why mm-hmm. you know my brother currently runs the company and I'm just uh Focusing my attention on creative output. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, was your brother always involved with the company, or is this something that happened just as time to, time went on? Because obviously you mentioned he's a doctor. Yes. He uh, did not, at first, become involved. He was not there at the beginning. Uh, he did not uh, uh, enter the, uh, the picture until in the uh, mid-'90s. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, only because he uh, uh, wanted to do it, and I let him do it. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, since uh, his uh, practice was mm-hmm. basically, you know, downstairs, and we were upstairs, and oh, okay, hmm. it was a simple matter for him to uh, go back and forth and run the day-to-day operation once he closed his clinic, you know, mm-hmm. and then do all the business of Antarctic Press. You know, while I uh, ran the uh, creative aspect of it, of, you know, going through submissions and putting the books together and overseeing, you know, the uh, output. So mm-hmm. it ran fairly good. And uh, uh, that's still the business model we more or less uh, have adhered to ever since. Hmm. Mm, that, that Actually, that works out really well. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> we think so. Still around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to say, it kind of makes me laugh because I remember the uh, I remember the '90s, and we've talked to a few other people that had uh, comic companies or were, were publishing their own stuff back then, and everybody mm-hmm. says that the, um, the big thing was getting your work out, getting the work out on time, uh, keeping the production going so that the uh, the audience knew when and where to get your stuff. Meanwhile, on the mainstream end of things, I remember back then you had. Um, Guys would put out two books a year, and you'd have to wait eight months past the uh, listed publishing date for those. And yeah, that was uh, those were pretty heady times for sure. I mean, <laughs> remember, the, remember the image boom, which was mm-hmm. uh, uh, the uh, uh, the start of that whole craze, 
you know, and it was uh, also it was because uh, uh, several news articles had come out saying uh, um, that uh, comics could be investments mm-hmm. rather than yes. creative endeavors. And when you look at something like comics as a commodity, it's not a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's a create it's a work of creative art, and it, and if people speculate on their comics increasing in value, then they're definitely going to be sorely disappointed, you know. Mm. Um, and that's that's the... Uh, I knew that was going not to last, so we never uh, 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 spent our attention on it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the only regret I, I had, you know, was when um, <clears throat> uh, Diamond started doing exclusives public uh-huh. for publishers. That was my only biggest regret, is that I did not sign up for that. You know, mm. um, I felt there was uh, morally, I thought it was wrong mm-hmm. for uh, Diamond to uh, uh, become a monopoly and become mm-hmm. sign up exclusive publishers because I I felt that the the it was supposed to be an open marketplace and that we uh, were uh, we became. Um, you know, I felt that that was the uh, wrong, the wrong thing to do. Now, in hindsight, I realize now that uh, when um, Diamond had offered us exclusive, mm-hmm. I should have taken it. <laughs> 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 so sometimes your sense of morality can interfere in just good business practice. <laughs> but that's okay. I don't regret it. Uh, well, I do actually regret it. <laughs> you do. You just said oh, you I do. I do regret it. But I have to live with my decision. And so right. to, to, to take it with it. But um, but even despite that, uh, AP is still going strong. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we're still pumping out books. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Now, is AP as big now as it was before? Like, how many staff did you usually have? Well, in the beginning, it was just two. It was me mm-hmm. and my business partner, um, right. Ripley. He was uh, he put in half the money to get the company started, and then it was all me. You know, and uh, I asked a couple of my friends who could draw to do uh, backup stories and you know things like that as as, as uh, for in material, and that was basically it. And then eventually, I bought his share out, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and then I became the sole owner. And I just kept pushing and pushing, and uh, I kept looking for new talent. The, the, the key was is when I uh, I had a business model. I, I mean, I was very very honest with mm-hmm. all my creators, saying, "Look, this is what I can afford to pay you, but I tell you what, if I promise I'm going to pay you, I'll pay you." You know, that's mm-hmm. where we got a pretty good reputation. You know, among mm-hmm. creators that if they work for me, you know, they'll get paid. You know, and I knew that was very important because if you don't keep your word in this business, you know, then things can go awry very quickly, you know, and you start getting a reputation of uh, non-payment and, you know, people will start avoiding you and you start losing talent, you know. I mean, I was up front and I told them this is what uh, you're going to get, you know, and then when I say you're going to get it, you're going to get it, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it may not be a whole lot, but I tell you what, if you do well, then you'll get more. So it really was an incentive for people to really strive to work hard, mm-hmm. you know, to make their books as successful as possible. And like Fred Perry is a good example you know, right. of that aesthetic, you know, and uh, uh, he, 
has been with us almost as long as I have. So I'm really yeah. uh, uh, proud that he's one of our stalwart, uh, you know, go-to guys at the right. Yeah, and uh, you'd be surprised how much. I mean, I've seen creators come and go at AP over the last thirty-five years or so, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, but you'd be surprised how loyal a lot of uh, our creators are. You know, and staying with us, even though we're not uh, the biggest company, you know, we they know that uh, we will be loyal to them, right? That we will stick with them, you know, and we will support them in any endeavor they decide to do. If they want to stay, they can support them. If they want to leave, then they can we support them as well. So, you know, we just try to be good guys and we try to be honest and we try, try to be fair. You know, I mean, we're a company. We have to make a profit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm no, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, my goal for Antarctic Press is to make a profit yep. uh, every time I can. And I, I told my brother that even if we make a penny profit, it's still a profit. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's better than losing money. You know, so uh, yeah. and that's uh, that's always been sort of our sort of unwritten rule. <laughs> Try to do make every book as successful as possible. Yeah, it's interesting. Um some of the stuff you've mentioned, because I can remember uh, Antarctic seemed to be ahead of the curve on a few things uh, back in the day. Like you mentioned yeah. being being one of the first that was doing uh, the Japanese-style stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was way before that took off. Yeah. Uh, you guys sort of did uh, furries before furries, too, because I remember uh, books like Wildlife. Oh, yeah. The, one of the things that uh, we were actually pretty savvy on was... Uh, Filling niches that nobody else was willing to fill. Uh-huh. You know, the, uh, the we were very in tune with fandom at the time. Right. You know, we could see where trends were going. We were seeing where what people were doing. You know, way before it started becoming more mainstream. You know, yeah. And you know, we were paying very much close attention to what was being done at conventions. You know, what people were talking about. And, you know, for feedback we get from our readers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, we, for some reason, I just had a good instinct, you know, for things that uh, uh, was going, were going to take off. Right. But, I mean, it's no longer the case now because the speed of information, you know, you can relay now is so fast that any new trend or thing is almost immediately picked up, you know, <laughs> yeah. on the Internet. But back then... You know, things moved a lot slower, so we were able to uh, assimilate and evaluate things uh, way before they started becoming, you know, more in, uh, integrated into the, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, uh, like we were one of the very first companies to actually heavily use computer coloring. I mean, I'm sure you didn't know this, but we were one of the first companies to start using uh, computers for coloring our books. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, even to this day, we're one of the few companies that uh, Photoshop sends uh, all their uh, um, beta beta products to. Right. We were one of the very early users of Photoshop. Uh, And uh, yeah, and uh, we uh, uh, started uh, doing doing that. And uh, uh, we also, I remember, we were. Using typesetting, you know, with uh, the early Max from 1984, uh-huh. you know, and uh, we were one of the first uh, companies to start using laser printers and uh, things like that. So we were also very technically uh, up 
on uh, applying new technology to computers as well. I mean, uh, to mm-hmm. comics as well. So, I mean, we didn't do anything like Shatter, but uh, right. I didn't think the technology was uh, good enough then for it to replace comic books uh, hand-drawn. Right. You know, but it, uh, it certainly has gone a long way now. So mm-hmm. it definitely has uh, opened up the uh, uh, opportunity for many more people to draw on the computer. But now, unfortunately, not well, I won't say unfortunately, <laughs> but now it seems like almost everybody I know has gone digital. Yeah. You know, has abandoned the traditional paper and pen uh, paper. But yeah, I'm, I'm an old fashioned guy. I still like using pen and paper. So uh, <laughs> I'm still uh, uh, going to do I. I have been slowly adapting to doing all my coloring on computer, but you yeah. know when I used to do it all by hand. But uh, uh, I still like to do things where I can sort of touch and feel, you know. Yeah. Because that's when when you mentioned using the color. I remember when the uh, Antarctic stuff in the '90s started going color, and I thought all that was airbrushed. Oh no, it was almost all computer. I mean, if wow. we were to do it by hand, it would just it would have taken too long. You know, computers allowed us. uh, Unfortunately, when I started using computers to do comic books, Mm -hmm. I became very lazy. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's true. I mean, the the uh, it was so easy, you know, to clone and to to color and to uh, drop, you know, drag and drop things uh, in the computer Mm -hmm. that my drawings, my actual drawings, started suffering. And I just there was a point in the late nineties I decided that I had enough of using the computer for my drawing. I, I swore I would never let the, uh, I swore I would never let the computer, I would draw all my comics from there on in, you know, and I've, I've stuck to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, inter- that's interesting too, because at the time, uh, like I say, I don't know um, what technique the other guys used, but when the computer color came in, a lot of the other places, um, Everything in their books looked like it was made out of plastic, and that's why I say I thought you guys were using like uh, like either an airbrush or the uh, the brushes and the dyes, the acrylic dyes. No, nope, that was all computer. Maybe some of the artists were doing, still doing hand uh, uh, drawn. Uh, I mean, doing hand coloring and stuff. But almost all our uh, books during the '90s were computer colored. Wow, and we've been doing it ever since. Huh. Which which was the first uh, computer colored book? Was it Warrior Nunnerella? No. Uh, our very first cover we did on computer was let's see, um, a book called Sete Number One. Hmm. It had a bubblegum crisis cover, and all mm-hmm. of that was done in Photoshop. You know, the only thing that we did, the, I did the line drawing, I scanned it in, and I colored everything in Photoshop. You know, and right. uh, 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 we had a, a guy named Pat Duke who was a really good computer mm-hmm. colorist. And uh, if you if you notice, if you go to back and see Gold Digger back in 1992, right. there was a transition between when we stopped doing hand coloring on the covers and started mm-hmm. doing computer coloring. And you can see a big difference when we made the switch over. Mm-hmm. And then every single book that uh, we did uh, well not every single but it was like 90% of the books we did were computer colored from there on wow hmm. yeah. so we started using computers for coloring extensively we started for, the first computer we did was like 1993 and then uh, oh. 
uh, after the, after in 1994, we almost did everything on computer, as far as hmm. the color was concerned. Right, right. Sure. Okay, so actually, since I brought it up, so is Warrior Nunnerello, has is that your biggest title that you've had, like besides Ninja High School? Yeah, we certainly are not going to go digger, and uh, Warrior Nun were our biggest sellers at the time. Mm-hmm. Warrior Nun especially so. Uh, at the height of the bad girl craze, mm-hmm. right? You know, at one time we sold almost a hundred thousand copies of a Warrior Nine. I mean, that was an incredible amount, especially for a small company like ours. You know, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we did not know how to handle you know that kind of you know monetary situation, and we hired way more people than we should have. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, uh, at the height of Warrior Nun, I should have uh, uh, fired half the staff because most oh. of them were not even most of them were not producing much of anything, and mm-hmm. it, it seemed like uh, uh, the uh, half of them were just there to draw a paycheck. You know, and then right. uh, uh, as the sales of Warrior Nun started to diminish. You know, we eventually had to face the reality that, that we had too many people on our staff. And at one mm-hmm. time, you know, we had like 20 employees, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. At the time, my brother and I figured at the time that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them were not producing, you know, uh, enough to justify, you know, continue working at Antarctic Press. So right. we, uh, there was a, there came a time when we had to actually fire almost like 75% of the staff because wow. they just were not producing. And it was, that was a tough day. Uh, okay. uh, uh, we, uh, but uh, uh, that move saved the company and we were mm-hmm. able to uh, uh, restructure and, uh, and able to save, you know, AP. That was the closest we ever came to mm-hmm. uh, uh, bankruptcy. You know, oh. and uh, uh, but we were able to save it, and mm-hmm. uh, yes. uh, we were able to restructure and our business plan. We came, we decided to go lean and mean, and just mm-hmm. focus on titles that were selling, and started uh, 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 focusing uh, on not just publishing anything that just came down the pike, uh, mm-hmm. and focusing on books that actually would sell. Now, I don't regret some of the books we did during the uh, that period of time a lot of books came out that i thought i'm very proud of was able to mm-hmm. do even though they didn't sell very well like strangers mm-hmm. in paradise was one of them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. box office poison was another you know and uh trudy verse and you know mm-hmm. many other books that came out during that period so mm-hmm. you know i don't regret uh publishing those books but i do regret not you know uh realizing that it wasn't going to last forever and i should have uh, invested the money more wisely, you know, in the mm. future of Antarctic Press, as opposed to just doling out, you know, uh, uh, spending the money on on staff that wasn't producing, you know, material. Right. Mm. That's hard. Mm. It's hard to run a business. Mm. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sudden success can really overwhelm you sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I I was, uh, and of course, I. I spent a huge amount of that money producing mm-hmm. the Warrior Nun pilot uh, and uh, in hopes that it would be picked up as a TV series. 
you know. Right. But unfortunately, it uh, it did not pan out, and uh, uh, even after we went to uh, Hollywood to pitch, right? Idea, uh, nobody bit. Mm, right. Well, did you get some backlash? I mean, the obvi- obviously Warrior Nun must have been a little bit controversial in some ways. I mean, some Christians must not have been very happy about that book. <laughs> oh, well, you know, uh, that uh, was definitely true to some extent. Um, the uh, uh, idea of a superhero nun was something unusual and different, of, you know, definitely. And, you know, we had a really nice write-up in USA Today so we had a lot of publicity, and I was even interviewed on TV, you know, uh, discussing it because it created a lot. Apparently, it created quite a, quite a bit of controversy. Uh, but you know, no no such thing as bad publicity, you know. I would mm-hmm. say so. Of we, I was hoping to parlay that into something a little bit more lucrative, but I guess it was a little too over the top for most people to accept. So huh. you know, as time went on, uh, eventually, Warren Nunn started to. Sold less and less, and you know, to right. the point where, uh, you know, we we sold the property to uh, Avatar Comics, so they currently own the rights to Warrior Nun now. Hmm. So really, you don't have Antarctica. You don't have any rights to Warrior Nun at all anymore. I do not. I personally do not own the rights to Warrior Nun anymore. But I hmm. do. Uh, I do have a clause in our contract where uh, I'm still credited for creating it. So. Anything right. they do, I, I get a byline uh, as the creator. Right. Now, has Avatar Comics done anything with it? Anything significant? Currently, I do not, I'm not aware of anything new they've done. So uh, hmm. uh, I've been checking. I don't know why they're just sitting on the property. Maybe they're just waiting for it to be the right time. But hmm. uh, that's not my concern anymore. And they can <laughs> do whatever they want with it. And uh, it's hmm. no longer in my realm. Of control. Right. Mm. Right. So there's a, I think it's called Warrior Nun, something kicking around, video kicking around on YouTube. Is that your Warrior Nun pilot That's that you guys the did? That's Warrior Nun pilot. That is correct. I storyboarded oh. it. I uh, uh, created the, the character designs. Uh, the only thing I didn't do was the animation. Oh, I see. Okay. Hmm. Wait, th- this is an animated one? Yes. Because there's a live action one kicking around too. Yes, that one is created. That's a sizzle reel created by. If that's if the one you're talking about is the one with the live action character, yeah, that one is. created by uh, Perfect Circle Productions, who currently own the movie rights. Okay. Oh, I see. And, okay. uh, they're the ones who are developing it as a movie, and mm-hmm. uh, in fact, uh, their company is actually located in Canada. Surprisingly. Uh, and it's created by uh, he, the guy named Dean English, who's the who's the producer. Uh, did a movie called Edison and Leo, which was oh, okay. a uh, live action movie. We uh, I mean, a stop motion movie he did, and currently he's developing Warrior Nun as a live action film. Uh, if he's successful with it, then you know I get a little bit, I get a small cut, but I'm hoping that it'll go somewhere. But right now it's been in development hell for the last ten years, so we'll see yeah. what happens. <laughs> Well, don't worry. I'm sure Netflix will pick it up. Netflix picks up yeah. pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I would love to see it <laughs> someday. Who knows? <laughs> okay. So, what is your major project that you've got on the go right now? Like, what's the thing that's got most of your creative focus? 
Well, currently I'm uh, working on you know the Ninjasco textbooks. I'm re uh, reformatting them, redoing the the, the pages. Um, I'm working on a revival of Ninja High School, um, and uh, I'm also working on several new series uh, like Steam League. I'm working on a new series called XXXY, and uh, I'm doing a, a, a lot of commissions for other people. So it's been, I've been keeping pretty busy for the most part. It's, but I, you know, and I'm also doing Science is Magic. I did a, the first issue uh, as a Kickstarter. I'm working on the second one right now. So, uh, so those are the, those have been keeping me pretty busy. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I imagine. So what's with the, like, focus on Steam stuff for Antarctic Press? I've noticed there's, like, Steam Wars coming out, and there's you've got a whole pile of Steam-related comics. Well, again, that's the whole filling a niche that isn't being filled. Uh, um, I mean, as far back as the mid-'90s, we were aware of the steampunk movement, and mm-hmm. uh, we are also big fans of the steampunk aesthetic, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I, uh, uh, I was very much actually into steampunk with mighty tiny my the first miniseries i did right yeah you know where i switched it from a mecca uh with mice into uh steampunk with mice <laughs> right yeah that's <laughs> true know? and uh well at the time i didn't know it was called steampunk you know i mm, right. called it sort of a victorian uh influenced mm-hmm. you know comic and you know and then uh at, at a convention you know, someone came up to me and says, you know, you're one of the first people to do a steampunk comic. And I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, he says, mm-hmm. ID Tiny is, is considered a steampunk comic. And I said, I didn't. You know, it wasn't my design, you know, that I set out to do steampunk comic, you know, because I, I, uh, I had watched, I originally had watched the Miyazaki's uh, uh, Castle in the Sky, you know, back mm-hmm. in uh, 80, uh, 86. Right. And I loved that movie. I thought it was great. You know, so mm-hmm. I decided to do my own version of it uh, mm-hmm. with the Mighty Tiny, and you know that's how I started that uh, doing all that stuff. So right. I guess uh, 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 Miyazaki is sort of like the father of uh, modern steampunk, I suppose. You know? well, in a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but you know, uh, I mean, I guess you go far as Jules Verne as the original, you know, godfather of the of the steampunk movement, but. Uh, uh, I, 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 AP uh, mm-hmm. starts noticing that more and more people were into steampunk and right. decided that it was be a good fit, you know, mm-hmm. for them to to do uh, uh, comics based on that aesthetic. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure when another aesthetic comes along, they'll. I'm pretty sure they'll probably uh, follow to that too. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. told them that what they should do is do some comics about cosplay or uh, do comics about. Uh, other things that uh, might be popping up, you know, you just got to mm-hmm. keep your eyes and ears open and see what, uh, what tr- is trending, you know, and, right. Yeah. And adapt. Hmm. Huh. I think that's a good strategy. Yeah. No, it works for AP, you know, cause mm-hmm. it, the thing is you'd be, it'd be suicidal to try to go head to head with Marvel or DC. You know, yeah. a lot of companies yeah. have tried, they've tried and mm-hmm. they failed every single one mm-hmm. of them. So there's no reason for us to mm-hmm. go head to head to for something they do so well, you know, and right. uh, uh, 
you know, I always akin to like Marvel and DC as being huge dinosaurs, and we're little tiny rodents running around on the mm-hmm. floor. Now we may not be the biggest creatures in the world, but we're survivors. So you know, as long as you can survive the next day, then you've been successful for that day. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, and carve out your little niche in the world, and you'll be quite happy. I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thanks to the internet, there's a lot of niches out there for you to cover. <laughs> yes, I the digital, you know, the digital revolution has definitely been a boon for creators. You know, it used to be back in the day, you know, you mm-hmm. had to go through the rigmarole, finding a distributor, getting your book printed, and getting into comic stores. Now you can do anything you want, and you can post mm-hmm. it that very day and reach thousands, up to thousands and thousands of people. You know, right. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just amazing the speed of being able to share your creative work, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just you no longer have to wait. You know, you just yeah. just do it. You know, mm-hmm. and and but again, you still have to follow the same aesthetic of being able to produce something all the right. time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to be able to do something and place it online. But if you don't keep doing it, people are going to forget about you. So you got to keep producing. You got to keep producing. You know that's the key to any successful venture that you can. You know, if if people don't gravitate toward it, then you need to to, to scrap it and just do something else. You know, or find something. You know, or stick with it to the point where people eventually, you know, discover your work. You know, so so in your opinion, as an experienced artist and creator, how long should you stick with something before you finally say, you know, this just isn't working. It's just time to chuck it and do something else. That's totally up to the individual creator. You know, if the mm-hmm. creator is dedicated to something to the point where he doesn't care, okay, that you know only a few people are following his work, then that's fine. Is if he can, as long as he doesn't starve to death on the street, then that's the, the, he's he's has every right mm-hmm. to keep doing that. You know, the the key is it's not the creative work itself, but it's, it's to monetize it. Okay? Mm. It's one thing to create something; it's another thing to monetize it. That's where uh, uh, you, as the creator, has to come in. Okay, because you know n- nobody remembers the work. Everybody remembers the artist. So the artist should be the main focus, okay? Because when you mention certain artists, okay, like Norman Rockwell or Andy Warhol or, you know, Salvador Dali, okay, do you remember any of their works? I mean, you remember what they look like, but you never remember who the titles are or what they, you know. All you know is that you can recognize their work and then you recognize the name. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. the point you have to do. You have to sell yourself more than you sell the actual creative work. The creative work speaks, you know, you you speak to the people through your work. But in the end, you want people to recognize you and not your work, you know, because, I mean, I know that seems uh, antithetical to the way things are because you want people to notice your work. But the only reason for you people to notice your work is to notice you. Okay, hmm. because that's the the really the end game. You want people to know who you are, you know, be, based on your work. You know, so that's why you have to keep producing, so that people can recognize, you know, you as the talent. And that, to me, is the key to any successful artist or creative creative type. 
is that you get to the point where people start to recognize you and less of your work. Yeah. So if, if, if you can follow that formula, then you can start being able to find success in what you do because of who you are. So it's all about personal branding then. Absolutely. You're the brand, okay? I mean, if you, if you look on the grand scheme of things, okay, you're only as good as your last project. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's very true. And if you can, uh, you know, fill people with the confidence that what you do is good, then they'll keep gravitating back to you, you know, because they'll be expecting something that is going to be uh, hopefully something they, they'll find entertaining, you know, and that's the that's your key in the end is that, you know, um, you personally may be invested in your own work, but in the end, you know, it's the marketplace that determines whether you're going to be a success or not. So you have to make the determination, do I stick with this? And hopefully I'll start to generate enough people who to like it where I could actually make a living off of it, you know, or do I just chuck the whole thing, start again with something new, and hopefully this time it'll work. So that's a tough decision, you know, a, for for any creator. And, you know, for, I speak for me personally, you know, I move on. You know, once I've done something, a project, you know, and I'm through with it, then I move on to, I can always go back to a previous project if I feel like it. You know, but if I don't feel like it, then I just move on to my next one. Hmm. Well, that explains why you've done so many projects over the years. Yeah, yeah. Like I told you, I have a very short extension span. I, I think I may be <laughs> a attention span. Attention span. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I may be undiagnosed well, ADD. I don't know. <laughs> well, we we all got our quirks, but you, here you just, as you said, you've got more ideas than you know what to do with. So you just kind of keep coming up with stuff and keep trying new things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. And you know, I like to, I always like to try new things, you know, like if it's, if it's a mighty tiny, it's a warrior nun, it's a heaven sent, it's a science is magic. You know, it's a ninja high school, it's tiger X. I mean, it's just, you know, I always like to challenge myself by trying to do something new and see if I could pull it off then uh, I've accomplished what I set out to do. But if I don't, then I just move on to my next project. Right. Well, what is the project or what is the thing in your career, and you've been at this for quite a while, that you are most proud of? Like what's been your proudest moment? Well, I would like to say everything I've done uh, (laughs) has been uh, my proudest moment. You know, but uh, uh, there's no doubt that Ninja High School is definitely one of my, uh, you know, one of my better creations. Because it's lasted mm-hmm. so long, and I have people coming to me all the time, you know, saying when they were like, you know, fifteen years old or now in their forties, saying that, oh yeah, I remember reading Ninja High School when I was a kid, and you know, it brought <laughs> me into manga, to anime. It was my first introduction to it. So you know, a lot of people are coming up to me saying that how much it influenced their early uh, childhood, their early. Uh, uh, foray into uh you know to uh fandom you know things like that and and i i'm very uh uh pleased to hear you know individual stories about how ninja high school was uh, a big influence on them you know it made me feel like i've accomplished something you know it made me feel that the, the work i've done was uh something that actually made an impression on people so it does fill you with a 
really good sense of satisfaction, you know, that uh, your work has been appreciated by uh, uh, quite a few people, you know. And But uh, like I said, I, I don't dwell on the past. I just keep moving <laughs> forward. And uh, uh, if I can uh, continue to churn out new stories and entertain new uh, readers, then, you know, that that's, that's my ultimate goal. And that's a wonderful goal. I definitely think so. Oh, thank you. Actually, Don, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask about um, about his work? Um, actually, I got kind of two things. Sure. Okay, uh, sure. Okay. One thing is you, you mentioned being proud of Ninja High School. I can totally see that because you were responsible for two of the funniest comics I've ever read in my life. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh. And and that was the that was the uh, the one with uh, where the Zeta Men find uh-huh. the alien baby. Oh yes, that was a good one. <laughs> and then the one of the best things ever was the uh, was the uh, the summer was it the summer fair with a uh, Pflugerville. Oh yeah, yes, that was uh, that was my uh, uh, my uh, uh, attempt to make fun of Archie comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, and you did a good job. Oh, thank <laughs> you very much. I I was. Uh, one of the things I set out to do was that I wanted to avoid the what I call the Archie syndrome, where mm-hmm. uh, all the characters remained high school students, you know, even after sixty years. <laughs> I said, "No, I'm not going to let Ninja High School fall into that. I'm going to actually have the characters grow and uh, uh, move on, and then replace them with a new cast and have them grow and move on." And, and I've pretty much stuck to that. Well, so wait, so. The characters have aged in quasi real time. Oh yeah, I mean, have you? Uh, uh, the characters from the '80s are all grown up and adults, and they got married, they have kids, and now their kids have taken over the role of Ninja High School. Okay, I knew that at one stage, Ricky had his younger brother had, had taken over as basically the lead character yep. for a while. He has, and he was. Uh, in fact, he was the lead character for quite some time. In fact, uh, in fact, he was probably the lead character longer than his brother was. But now uh, uh, he's moved on, and now we have. Mm-hmm. A, I'm working on a new cast of uh, what I call the V3 characters, which will take wow. for the mantle of the Ninja High School legacy. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then they'll grow old, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, probably in my 70s or 80s, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, uh, and then, uh, uh, V4 characters are going to. You know what? I'm just going to give Ninja High School and put it in the public domain and just let anyone who wants to do it do whatever they want. Huh. Well, you've done, you've done so many like fan things with it, you almost have in a way. Yeah, I, I like that. It's just it's just fun. You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. it's like to see people's interpretation of the characters and see how far they can take it, you know, and the... Uh, that's why I did the yearbooks. You know, I wanted to give fans an outlet to be able to write and draw their own stories based on Ninja High School. You know, and uh, uh, I, I, uh, I freely, you know, uh, encourage people to come up with new stories and ideas because you know I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, whenever you uh, allow fans to indulge themselves and to have a little fun, you know, with characters, then it's it's it it's I think it benefits everyone. Um, so I want to ask you something. So I've noticed on your um, Facebook feed, because I've been following you on Facebook for a little while, you've had a lot of advice recently for young creators, like a young, like a lot, some very strong advice, in fact, for 
towards new comic artists and new creators. Is there a special reason why you've been talking about a lot that recently? Well, I, I got, uh, you know, I have a lot of my Facebook friends posting, you know, stuff uh, that I've been reading. And some of mm-hmm. it's kind of distressing. You know, they're, they're complaining about this, complaining about that, you know, that uh, they, you know, they're not able to do this or that, you know. And mm-hmm. it seemed to me that, uh, uh you know, and plus, uh, I, I've, I've, I go to a lot of conventions and I see a lot of people's stuff come up and ask for my advice. And, you know, and I thought, you know what, maybe I should just go ahead and write down what I think, mm-hmm. you know, is would be good a good advice for people who are just starting out. Now, of course, uh, the dynamic has changed quite a bit, you know, uh, in some ways it has and in some ways it hasn't. The, the dynamic has changed that now anybody who's a creator can put mm-hmm. their stuff online with very little effort, you know, right. and uh, they can potentially reach thousands and millions of people, you know, uh, you know, overnight, you know, mm-hmm. if their stuff is good. But there's still people out there who are still, you know, trying to get work, you know, and and I think that if uh, if I can give them some you know, head start on mm-hmm. them to uh, uh, find work, then um, then uh, I think uh, I will have done, um, hopefully, a, a good service to them, you know. Hmm. And uh, I also uh, think that you know, as I get older, um, I want to impart some of my life experiences so that they can see, because you, you'd be surprised how mm-hmm. a lot of things that would seem like common sense to you and me mm-hmm. are totally uh, missing from a lot of people's uh, ability to do to do things. I mean, um, mm-hmm. I see portfolio. I see people coming to me all the time, and the portfolios they send they print is just like you know terrible. You know, and they're mm-hmm. they're they're or disorganized, and and they say the wrong things, and they. Don't know what they're doing, you know. And I figured if if they're really serious about wanting to do this, then this is what I think they sh- this would help, you know, mm-hmm. in obtaining their uh, uh, desires, you know. So right. I mean, it's it's you know just you could take it with for what it is, you know, at face mm-hmm. value. You take it with a grain of salt, or you can totally ignore it. it doesn't matter to me. I just have to get right. it off my chest. So, right, I, I can see that. Now, Don's not on Facebook, so he doesn't know what our what we're actually talking about. But yeah, Don. But Ben has been printing, I guess, some strong rules and suggestions for young people who are presenting at conventions and trying to become successful. Huh. Right. Um, I mean, I, I I pretty much say bluntly that you know you have to know how to draw. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to draw, that helps teach yourself to do all the, the basic stuff, you know, and, uh, and that's really what it comes down to. My, my, you know, one, uh, one to, uh, I'll probably mention is that, you know, get to the point where you don't have to go to them. They'll come to you. You know, mm-hmm. that's the, the key is that if you can get to the point where your work is so good that people will want you to do work for them, then you've got mm-hmm. it made, you know, but you've got to get to that point, you know, so it's a, uh, uh, and the only way to get to that point is to work your ass off, you know, and that's right. uh, the only way to do it, unless you have some sort of, you know, Mozart DNA in, instilled in you where you can just, everything comes naturally, 
then mm-hmm. you have to learn and you have to do and you have to work. And that's really uh, the key to any successful venture. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like that's definitely your advice to the next generation is just work your ass off. <laughs> That's the advice for any generation. Work your ass up. Right. the robots come along and take over. Right. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't be surprised to get to that point, you know? Oh, <laughs> oh a, probably. Art robot, you know? Hey, fill in those backgrounds for me, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, <laughs> it's almost <laughs> to that point now, you know? It, yeah. it is almost. Uh, we've got friends that work in the animation industry, and I can tell you that in the animation in, in the animation industry, at least on the executive level, their dream is to basically get rid of all the background artists and everything, just replace them with computer programs and machines. Absolutely, I mean, it's getting to that point. Pretty soon, you're going to have a library, you know, or a, 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 a an AI that will generate mm-hmm. anything you want based on your description. You know, yeah. And then it's 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 then they're no we're talking about a whole new ball game, you know. And uh, uh, to me, the future of uh, uh, internet and for uh, uh, entertainment is content. You know, it's content, mm-hmm. content, yeah. content. You know, if uh, uh, if and, you know, and also even if it's old content. I mean, I've got people who are reading Ninja High School who have never heard of it or read. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right. And uh, uh, so what may be old to a lot of people is brand new to a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at its height, Ninja High School was selling like 12 or 15,000 copies. But now mm-hmm. it's got a potential to reach thousands more and, and perhaps even millions more just online, you know, because just because a lot of people have read it. You know, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everyone has read it. So you uh, that's very true. Just, just keep it out there. And like I said, I was talking about the library. That's where the mm-hmm. library comes in. You're able to uh, uh, take what you've done previously, you know, and uh, present it to a new audience. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Well, have you thought about taking the, I guess it'd be the Phil Foglio approach of just like having NinjaHighSchool.com and just putting it, putting it up as a webcomic and selling merchandise, that kind of thing? Well, I would, but I am not, uh, I'll be honest with you, I am not tech savvy. You know, right. I haven't figured out how to do my own web page. I, that's why I only do uh, uh, Facebook and and you know other uh, put my stuff on other people's web pages because it's far easier for me to do that than to right. maintain my own web page because that hmm. that actually takes a lot of work. I mean, I know hmm. people who maintain their own web page and it's it it's it's almost as much work as you know publishing. Yeah, you, Sometimes. You know, I, it, it depends how much you're doing with it, but thanks to what they call WordPress is the current blogging software, it's actually pretty simple. You actually can do it well, pretty easily. As time goes on, you know, more and more, uh, uh, it makes things are getting easier and easier. And eventually mm-hmm. I may decide that uh, 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 I, may, I may get to the point where I can actually do my own web page. But currently I'm, I'm pretty happy the way things are. You know, mm-hmm. And, uh, uh uh, and my only real concern at the moment is to create more content, you know. Mm. And then uh, eventually, if I decide I want to do a web page, you know, I've got, you know, 30 years of material I can draw. Oh, yeah. You know, so I don't have a, a, a problem with the, the content. I just got to figure out the technology. You know? Right. But like you said, things are getting easier and simpler. 
So I make it to the point, but even a simple mind like mine can eventually navigate the intricacies of, you know, right. uh, of my own web page. Well, actually, you don't really need to do it yourself anymore. There's uh, companies like Odesk and other places that will get you what are called virtual assistants, which are people that you know are scattered somewhere on the internet, and you they hook you up with them, and they basically take care of all your like internet and everything related work for you for like a relatively small fee per day. And then when you don't need them, you don't need them. You don't pay them. Oh. They're not like on staff. I, yeah. may, I may consider that. Thank you for uh, uh, imparting that uh, bit of information. Yeah, because I'm involved with the uh, self-published world, like self-publishing books on Kindle and Amazon, things like that. Yeah, hey, I do have books on Kindle and Amazon and stuff like that, and uh, comics. What do you call right. it? The uh, what's that? Oh, comic uh, website that does all those com- comicsology. Well, yeah, comicsology. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah, yeah stuff they... on there. But you know, right. I, I don't. Uh, that takes that again. That takes a lot of time to. Do because like when you do your Kindle stuff, it's you gotta go through all this uh, PDFs and conversions and blah, 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 and, you know. Right. Uh, well, well, that's why you hire virtual assistants to do that because after all, there are people out there who basically want the work and are willing to do it for like minimum wage or whatever to uh, you know can, to do small jobs like that because it's global, right? Well, I I had not was not aware that such a service existed. I definitely will look into that. I'll send you a link later on on Facebook. <laughs> okay, I would appreciate that. Thank. You. Yeah, no, no, um, and so, because yeah, you can get all kinds of things then for a relatively small cost. But anyways, but that's not relevant. So, <laughs> all right. So we know. I guess we know where the future of comics then is going. Yeah. Um, definitely digital and definitely online in one form or another. Yeah. Um, but there's still going to be a. There's going to still going to be a need for paper and print. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that as far as uh, it going extinct. I think it'll be mm-hmm. a long time before that happens, you know, because people just like the visceral feel of, you know, being mm-hmm. able to read paper and, uh, uh, and print, you know, right. because it just, it's just really uh, more convenient to be honest. You don't mm-hmm. need an expensive computer or, or, uh, uh, you know, the electricity, <laughs> right. You just pick up a book uh, light a candle and start reading. <laughs> now, actually, that's an interesting question, though. So has I know a lot of the big companies have almost shifted a little bit towards doing more uh, trade paperbacks and focus on, yeah, the trade paperback model because that sells in bookstores as opposed to comic shops. Has Antarctic Press also been doing that, trying to get more trade paperbacks out? Uh, oh, yes, definitely. I mean, they know the writing is on the wall as far as that's concerned. Um, the only reason to do the floppies, uh, you know, which are the monthly comics, uh, right. uh, uh, is just basically is pre-advertising for the trade. You know, mm. it's, it's basically a way for people to, to to see the product before they collect it. You know, and plus right. it allows them to make money twice. So uh, if you, oh, yeah. you sell the book once as a comic, you know, then you sell it later as a trade paperback. So it makes sense. sense. Why not yeah, it does. make money twice on it? So uh, it's a it's a good business model. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, Don, did you have any other questions or comments before we yeah, want to wrap this up? Anything else for me? <laughs> no, I was just uh, I was going to ask about what you thought about the uh, the future comics, but yeah, you got right in there, and I think 
um, like we were saying before, it sounds like you may have locked onto another one of those like newfangled coming things that you're getting the jump on. Oh, well, thank you. Hmm. Um, yeah, this is comics are to me. Uh, in fact, uh, I think comics will actually become more legitimized as a f- art form. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, uh, I had an idea where you could actually do uh, uh, teach things through comics. You know, because I think people respond more positively to something that's visual, you know, right. as opposed to just text. You know, I uh, I actually was uh, going to try to uh, create a, a a comic book textbook, you know, where you could actually teach uh, heady subjects in a comic book or manga form. Mm-hmm. You know, where uh, in in I mean, it may not be. Uh, well, of course, my brother thinks it's a dumb idea, but <laughs> I think it might work, you know, mm-hmm. taking a heady subject like physics or a geometry and putting it in sort of a comic or manga format, you know, and see if kids uh, can learn the subject faster and easier if it was done in that kind of format, you know. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's, uh, I mean, I, I definitely know you can do that with history because I've seen a lot, mm-hmm. lot of comics you know, based on historical events. In fact, I've done several already. You know, but uh, uh, I don't know if it could be applied to mathematics or science or, you know, uh, things of that nature. You know, but you don't know until you try. Right. Well, I'm sure if it's possible, the Japanese have done it. <laughs> and they have. Yeah. Then why don't they bring it over here, damn it? Yeah, well, th- th- because those are things they don't think will have a wide audience. They don't think that yeah. probably Americans will will be interested. Uh, so well, they don't. I think you'd be surprised. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, if I were to, uh, I mean, when when anime and manga was first uh, uh, introduced in the United States, definitely mm-hmm. was a niche, you know, mm-hmm. genre. But now mm-hmm. people almost recognize it universally. You know, yeah, that's true. It, almost to the point where you see it in mainstream movies and TV shows and in mm-hmm. advertising. I mean, it's just ubiquitous now. I mean, even this Pokemon Go thing is anime based. You know, yep. and it's uh, uh, it, it it it's slowly creeping itself, you know, in, into the mainstream. You know, where yep. you're starting to see more and more references to it, and you're definitely mm-hmm. seeing more and more influences. You know, and so it's it's. It's it's it, it's a slow creep, you know, and it's, as long as uh, you stick to it, eventually people will start to recognize it. You know? Well, I, I commented in previous podcasts how right now one of the reasons we're getting like the glut of superhero movies is because the people who grew up in the 1980s, our generation, who loved superheroes, all, especially X-Men, Avengers, all, are the ones in charge of Hollywood right now. And so they're producing the stuff that they wish they could have seen when they were teens and when they were kids. Well, sure. what's happening is is that the new generation who grew up on manga and anime in the 90s and early 2000s are eventually going to take over. Well, what are they going to make? Well, it's already started. I mean, you look at the Wachowski's brothers. I mean, Matrix is very mm-hmm. anime. You know? That's true. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, they even tried to do it with Speed Racer, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And uh, uh, I mean, if you look at movies like Sucker Punch, who has a very anime mm-hmm. feel to it, uh, yep. so it's it's starting to, to starting to make its way, you know. And even uh, that 
even in cartoons like Horton Hears a Who, there was an anime sequence in there, you know, and uh, uh, I mean, there, there's definitely anime influences creeping in because you're right. People grew mm-hmm. up when the 80s on anime are now in Hollywood, you know, or in yeah. uh, uh, TV. You know, it's just, it's just a natural, per- even Tim Eldred, you know, who's mm-hmm. work, uh, who works on uh, Marvel's Avengers, uh, yep. was an anime head. You know, so oh, yeah. definitely Big one. the people are, are making their way, you know, into the uh, mainstream of uh, and even South Park has made fun of anime and mm-hmm. uh, Simpsons have made fun of anime. And uh, I mean, it's, it's just a, uh, and people recognize it, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's 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 come to the point now where uh, it's just part of the popular culture. You know, it's mm-hmm. no longer mm-hmm. a niche. Yeah. And so. Uh, once it's made its way into the mainstream, then it's time to move on to something else. You know, I'm, yep. I'm, uh, I do not uh, doubt there will come a day where steampunk will be mainstream. In fact, it's already mm-hmm. sort of started. You know. Yep. Uh, and then what will be the next uh, big thing? You know, even even the 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 furry fo- uh, subculture is starting to make creep its way into uh, more and more. Uh, yep. t- look at Zootopia. Yeah. Know, mm-hmm. It yeah. definitely was, and it, it did a tremendous business. Yep. You know, so mm-hmm. it, 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 all you have to do is take anything to, uh, genre related and just make it good. If you tell a good <laughs> story, <laughs> and you tell it, you tell a good story, you present it with high quality, you know, and a passion. You know, people will recognize it for what it is. A good, you know, uh, uh, you know, if I wanted to do. You know what, uh, space wizards or something like that, or you know that's if you do it well, people will recognize it. So it's just you know that's all you really have to do is just you know do whatever you do, but do it well. Mm. Okay, and I think that's an excellent note to end on. So thank you, Ben, very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. I hope to see you guys someday at Anime North. I like to yeah, say I am there every year. So if you decide to come by, we'll we'll hang out and uh, we'll yeah. shoot the breeze. Okay, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, um, any final thoughts, Don, before we go? Oh nope. no, I I think you covered it all pretty good. <laughs> okay, so thank you everyone for listening, and please tune in next time, and we'll be talking about more amazing stuff that you absolutely do not want to miss. And yeah, we'll figure it out when we release it. <laughs> Talk to you later, guys. Thank Bye. Very much. You take Bye. care. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!